Today's reading is Exodus 14, 19 through 31. It can be found on your screen. This is God's word. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in, uh, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into, into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh had, that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the great power of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Yeah, I'm going to get my screen set up here. Um, while I do that, if you guys would join me oops, uh, in a word of prayer. Let's pray. <laughs> God, our deliverer. We look to you when we feel trapped. We look to you to guide us into freedom. Be with us now during this time as we look at your word and what it has to say to us today. Open our ears and open our hearts that we can understand what you are speaking to us. Guide us from this gathering today as free people, as you guided the Israelites through the Red Sea into freedom. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's see. I still have to do just a little bit of situating on my end. Um, but I was really glad to get a bunch of messages in the, in the chat uh, of people who are interested in doing Bible studies. So that's, that's really encouraging. I look forward to seeing a lot of you guys uh, this fall in whatever way we figure out doing that. All right, here we go. 
now everything's ready. So our story today of the Israelites going through the Red Sea, it reminds me of a lot of things that we see in movies today. You know, how many times have you seen a situation like this where the hero finds him or herself backed into a corner in this crazy, impossible situation? Uh, they're backed up against the wall and the villain is closing in on them. And then at just the last second, you know, something totally crazy and unexpected happens and uh, the hero gets bailed out. You know, this is like when Batman pulls this unknown gadget out of his utility belt that uh, lets him barely escape the elaborate trap that the Joker has set for him. Or in, uh, in Lord of the Rings, when the, the eagles just happen to show up at just the right moment to save our heroes and rescue Frodo and Sam from the, uh, the lava flowing down the slopes of Mount Doom. This sort of thing happens in movies so often that they've actually coined a term for situations like these. It's called deus ex machina, which means God out of the machine. It's when this, this totally unrealistic thing happens to save the main character and keep the story going. And usually it's a sign of sloppy writing and cheap plot development. This is how TV series come to run for 12, 13, 14 seasons and still try to keep some sort of excitement. The passage that we read today is not just another case of deus ex machina. This is not a story of people getting bailed out at the last minute to keep the plot moving. This isn't sloppy writing. In fact, the writing and details in this passage are loaded with meaning. And they point to something much bigger than what's happening on the surface. We'll get to that a little bit later, but first, I want us to think and focus on what it means to be trapped. You know, in this story, we see the Israelites pinned down between this powerful army of their former slave masters on one side, and then the immovable, impassable Red Sea on the other. They have a hostile force on one side and an unavoidable obstacle on the other. And I think most of us know all too well what this feels like especially lately. You know, many of us have felt trapped in our homes because of the pandemic. But as we were talking about in our <laughs> breakout room today, at least we used to be able to go outside for walks and jogs uh, during the summer. But ever since the wildfire started and the smoke have turned our skies gray and brown and made our air unhealthy to breathe, even these little moments of brief relief, a walk around the block have been taken away. It's as if the fences keep moving in further and further and further, and we feel more trapped than ever. This cultural moment can feel like a never-ending stint on the shores of the Red Sea, with a deadly virus closing in, wildfires raging on, continued incidents of racial injustice playing out on video. We see all these things going on out there in the world. And at the same time, we have our own inescapable personal and family issues that are rising to the surface inside our homes. We feel trapped. And as crazy as it might seem, I think it's often these personal internal issues that scare us the most. For the Israelites, you know, they looked out at the sea as something chaotic and frightening, but the fear that comes from looking up and seeing your former slave master gearing up to put you back in chains and damning your children to a lifetime of hard labor, that's a personal fear. 
which is often different and deeper than the kind of fear that we experience from impersonal things like the sea or a virus. And I don't say this to downplay what's going on in the world. I mean, these are frightening and serious issues that deserve our time and attention, but I'm willing to bet more often than not, it's the things that are going on inside of us that really keep us up at night. The things that we feel enslaved to. Maybe it's the expectations that you've inherited from your parents. That voice that says that you won't be enough unless you give us a perfect performance of your life. You must be the perfect daughter or son. You must be the perfect student and you must find the perfect spouse and land the perfect job. And then after all that, give us perfect grandkids. This voice is the slave driver that piles load after load on your back. And it doesn't use a whip to keep you in line. It uses passive aggressive comments and guilt with deadly precision. If you know what this voice sounds like, then you know what it's like to be trapped between a slave master and an ocean of anxiety. If you've ever felt the compulsive need to make others happy in order to feel like you are worth something, then you know what it's like to be trapped by slave masters all around you, all the people you're trying to please and the wall of fear behind you. If you've ever wrestled with an addiction, then you are all too familiar with the feeling of being trapped between a slave master who you both love and hate and the emptiness you feel when this master is gone. Wherever you find yourself trapped, it can be tempting to look at the story that we read today, the story of Exodus and think, you know, if God could part the Red Sea for Israel, you know, maybe if I believe hard enough, God will open up an escape hatch for me too. Maybe I just need to pray more and he'll sweep away my problems too, just, just like that. You know, that's what God does, right? That's, that's what the story is about. But to read our story in this way completely misses the point. God is not someone who swoops in and takes away our problems at the last minute because we've been good, obedient believers. And if you want proof that God doesn't operate this way, just look at all the other stories in the Bible. I mean, right away in Genesis 4, we, we see the story of Cain and Abel. We see Abel, who was devoted to God, you know, who did everything right and pleased God with his offerings. His offerings pleased God. And was his life easy and painless? No. <laughs> it was cut short because his brother was so full of envy that he murdered him. Or there's the classic example of Job. You know, this was a guy who God deeply loved. He was held up as an example of how good humanity could be. And what happened to him? You know, in the story, Satan lets him have the full force of emotional and physical suffering that he can muster. Job was loved by God, but he still faced extraordinary challenges. And there are many more stories like this. You know, God isn't like one of those, uh, those giant claw machines in the arcade that comes down and picks up the toy and, and brings it to the, the, dispense, the dispense spot. <laughs> you know, God doesn't come down and airlift us out of our situations. He's, he's not like that. Instead, God is a caring and loving father who holds our hand and walks with us through our struggles. Like I said, this is not a story of deus ex machina. It's not sloppy storytelling. It's much bigger, and the writing is incredibly intentional and loaded with meaning. 
the story of the Israelites crossing the Red Sea points beyond itself. It's pointing both backwards and forwards. If you look closely, you can see that the verses of Exodus 14 actually mirror the creation story in Genesis 1. It's pointing back to the very, very beginning. The Israelites crossing the Red Sea is a story of new creation. On the first day of creation in Genesis 1, God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. And in verse 20 of the passage we read today, we see that through the night, the clouds brought darkness to one side and light to the other. We see once again, God is separating the light from the darkness. On the third day of creation, in Genesis 1, God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And in verse 21 of Exodus 14 of our passage we read today, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. Once again, God separates the waters and makes dry ground appear. And finally, on the sixth day of creation, in Genesis 1, God said, let us make mankind in our own image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. God made humanity to be his representatives here on earth, caring for the land. And in our passage today, a new nation was created to be his representatives, the freed people of Israel to rule over and take care of the animals and livestock in the promised land entrusted to them. The story of the Red Sea is not a last minute sloppy writing, deus ex machina situation. It's a story of new creation that can only happen if the people go through their fears and into the roaring and swirling sea. And I think this is what most people miss about this story. Walking through the Red Sea <laughs> with the waters heaped up in walls on either side was no stroll in the park. In ancient cultures, the sea was the universal symbol for chaos, for fear, for uncertainty, trouble, and death. Now this is not where the Israelites wanted to go, but it was where God was leading them. God was leading them right into the chaos, into their fears, and into the uncertainty. As they walk through the sea, there's the constant worry that these walls of water could come crashing down at any moment and everything would be over. To step into the Red Sea like this was just as dangerous as walking up to the Egyptian army. But this is where God was leading them. They had to go through the chaos and the fear to get to the freedom on the other side. And the same thing was true for another person who would come along some 1200 years later. Not only was the crossing of the Red Sea pointing backwards to the story of creation, it was also pointing ahead to someone else who would find themselves caught between a hostile empire and a symbol of death and chaos. At the end of his life, Jesus found himself with the Roman Empire and the religious leaders in his own community on one side and a cross on the other. And just like the Israelites, his journey took him into chaos and fear. It led him to the cross and into death. 
Jesus stepped into the swirling and churning chaos because that was the way God was leading him. And three days later, he emerged on the other side. He stepped out of the chaos, out of the tomb, and out of death. Jesus' resurrection is the ultimate example of new creation, but he had to go through death to make it a reality. And you know what else? <laughs> Just like the Egyptians and everything that they represent, you know, power, privilege, wealth, empire, slavery, everything that they represent were destroyed when they chased the Israelites into the Red Sea and it swallowed them up. And the same thing happened when death and slavery and chaos thought that they had beaten Jesus. It's as if these things, the expectations, desires, and addictions that enslave us, along with the brokenness and corruption of the world, fear and death itself, it's as if they chased after Jesus into the tomb. But the walls of water came crashing down on them, swallowing them up and wiping them out while Jesus stepped from the tomb alive. This is what Christians celebrate and remember in baptism, another watery example of God's grace, that the sin which has chased us and enslaved us from the moment we were born has followed us into the water, but was left behind swallowed up and drowned while we emerged as a new person. Like 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Whoever is in Christ is a new creation. But this can only happen if we take that leap of faith into the chaos and into the unknown. It means going against the messages that we've heard our whole life. Know that you need to be perfect in order to be loved. It means stepping away from that and stepping into an incredibly vulnerable place where we trust that we will be loved and accepted, even with our imperfections on full display. That's a scary place to stand. It means doing things that are really unnatural to us, like confessing when we've done something wrong instead of trying to hide it. You know, this can feel like stepping between two walls of water that could come crashing down at any moment. But it's where God calls us to go in order to reach a place of real and lasting freedom. It also means that we don't abandon God when things get hard. It means we look for his guidance through the pain and the anxiety that we feel. Because we know that he is leading us to something new on the other side. And all of this is really really hard. <laughs> it wasn't easy for the Israelites to step into the Red Sea. It was terrifying. But they came out the other side as free people, as God's chosen people destined for a promised land. It wasn't easy for Jesus to go to the cross. He was sweating blood even thinking about it. But he came out the other side as our resurrected king, bringing a new creation, a heavenly kingdom with him. Going through the unknown and the chaos of the sea is the only way to freedom. It's the only way to really discover the new creation that God has in store for you. Stepping into that place of vulnerability is how God brings us to someplace better, away from slavery and into freedom. So I want to end our time with, uh, with a couple questions that I've got. Um, I'm going to try to share the screen here. Um, 
the questions are, what might God be leading you towards? Oh man, I can't even see what the words say. <laughs> what might God be leading you towards as you make your way through your own experiences of feeling trapped or enslaved? As the walls of chaos and fear heap up on either side of us, what new creation might be waiting for us on the other side? What might God be asking you to be, to leave behind, to be swept away when the waters come crashing back down behind you? I'll give us a couple minutes, well, just a minute or so to, to think on these questions and then we'll close our time with prayer. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, you are our resurrected King who went through death and emerged the other side for us. You made the way for us to escape the slavery that we've experienced and to enter into your freedom. This way can be frightening and intimidating to walk between the walls of water Give us courage to follow you through that so that we can emerge on the other side as free people, as your people who have been saved by grace alone. God, we thank you for this. <laughs> we never, ever could have done this on our own. But you have made a way and you've called us to follow you through it. Help us as your church to continue walking that way. And help us as people to experience the peace that comes from the freedom that we have in you. In your holy name we pray. Amen.